0: Thank you for listening to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's Eye Critical Care Podcast. For copyright and disclaimers, as well as information about how to contact the Eye Critical Care staff, please listen to the notice at the end of this podcast.
1: Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Society of Critical Care Medicine's Eye Critical Care Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Savell. In today's podcast, our topic will be eye care in the intensive care unit. We will be speaking with the co-authors of an article published in Critical Care Medicine entitled, Eye Care in the Intensive Care Unit, Narrative Review and Meta-Analysis. The reference is Critical Care Medicine, 2008, Volume 36, pages 3151 to 3155. We have two guests, both authors. The first is Dr. Jamie Rosenberg, who is currently a senior ophthalmology resident at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine here in New York City and Dr. Louis Eisen. Dr. Eisen is currently co-director of the medical intensive care unit at Montefiore Medical Center, and he's an assistant professor of medicine, also at Albert Einstein College of Medicine. His areas of interest and expertise include uh, critical care ultrasonography, as well as simulation training in critical care. Thank you both for taking time out of your schedule to be with me today. Thank you. We've sort of divided this, uh, this up nicely into different talking points, and I thought the first point might be, you know, why should the average practicing intensivist uh, need to know this and care about eye care in the intensive care unit? I mean, as, as you've pointed out to me, this is an underappreciated area, and I thought it was an important article, and maybe if you could take a few minutes and discuss uh, how the article itself came about, that would be great.
2: It was uh, interesting that um, one day I was rounding in the ICU and um, probably a day where I had too much time on my hands. uh, I just uh, had the idea pop into my head that um, I remember from my anesthesia rotation that when people go in for surgery, their abdominal surgery or whatever, um, they're sedated and paralyzed on the ventilator. And just as a matter of routine, like they're protecting all the pressure points, the anesthesiologist will um, lube the eyes and then tape them shut. Uh, and yet, um, though we don't sedate and paralyze people as much in the ICU as we used to, right. still we have people on the ventilator for several days, weeks uh, sometimes. Well, what's happening to their eyes? So that, that idea was just uh, came into my head.
1: So, uh, as you describe in your article, we're often focused in appropriately on the life and death issues that we need to be dealing with, but a lot of this can become sort of routine care, and I thought one of the exciting parts of this article was the focus on what should that routine care be, what research has been done about it. and we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, Dr. Rosenberg, I thought we'd take a moment and let you talk for a few minutes just to help uh, help us non-ophthalmologists out with some of the vocabulary, even to start to delve into this topic. So if you'd like to do that, that would be terrific.
3: Sure. Great. Yeah. Well, um, as an ophthalmologist, as you were saying, we uh, we're not dealing with life and death issues. And this is the... We're only worrying about the eyes. And when we think about the eyes, there are certain vocabulary that we use that's a little bit different. So um, some important terms for this topic, let me start with lagophthalmos. This is really where the problem starts. Uh, many patients have who are intubated or have medical issues, their eyes aren't closing all the way. And the, the term we use for that is lagophthalmos. It's any reason why the eyes aren't closing all the way, um, which can cause a lot of problems. The next thing I wanted to talk about is how we refer to problems with the cornea. Keratitis means an inflammation of the cornea. The cornea, just uh, a brief review of eye anatomy, is the clear dome over the front of the eye. The, uh, this, this area has to be completely clear for vision. Otherwise, uh, you, it, it, the light can't pass through. Um, a related term is keratopathy, which is really any problem with the cornea at all. Chemosis is a, a swelling or edema of the conjunctiva, which is the, the white skin over the rest of the eye. Uh, scleritis uh, refers to inflammation of the sclera. The sclera is the white uh, so the structure of the eye. So It's found under the conjunctiva. It's the, the entire structure of the, the rest of the eye. Uh, Endophthalmitis is always, um, people hear that term, it sounds scary. It's uh, really an inflammation of the inside of the eye. The entire eye can be involved, and this is what we most want to avoid. And finally, I just wanted to uh, define tarsorophy. That's um, a procedure that closes the eye so it can be done with sutures it can be done with uh, a a more permanent in a more permanent fashion and it can be the entire eye or sometimes just the lateral portion is done to give some closure to the eye for someone who can't close it themselves
1: and and um that was fantastic thank you in terms of uh, a follow-up what i was wondering is um I, i would imagine i mean even after reading your article a few times is the big picture problem in the icu that um because someone, when they're critically ill and intubated and sedated, they develop this lag lagophthalmos, and that leads to sort of a series of events. Do you want to talk about that maybe for a few minutes, sort of sure. what the issues are and, and how, w- where the, the uh, practicing clinician can sort of intervene?
3: Yeah so that's exactly the problem when uh, people are critically ill and they have lagophthalmos which means that the eyes uh, the the eyelids are open so the the area between the lids is just exposed to the world the eye really needs that the the closure to be nourished because there's no blood flow to the cornea it gets its Everything from the tears. And when the tears aren't going over the eyelid, if the eyelids aren't going over the eye and there's no tears there, it can't be nourished. So, um, what happens then is that little defects in the epithelium of the cornea develop. So, in the same way as if you have a cut in your skin, you're susceptible to infections getting inside, it's the same thing. So if there are little defects in the epithelium of the cornea, then infections can get inside. Uh, Most bacteria cannot penetrate an intact corneal epithelium. So you really need that that, that first insult to lead to all the other problems. So in terms of what can be done to intervene there, if there's a way to protect the the surface of the eye, which is really what we were discussing in the article, that would, uh, you know, we could we could halt the process at that point.
1: Uh, and it and as you were saying, it starts out with sort of abrasions, corneal abrasions that may lead to further infection. Can you expand about that? Um, upon that.
3: Right. So the very first step would be what we call punctate epithelial erosions, which means it's just little tiny defects in the corneal epithelium. Uh, usually, if you're if you're looking at, you know, you're doing a bedside exam, which normally you would be doing for these patients, it's not so noticeable, these little tiny spots. But it happens pretty quickly. Um, Just whenever the eye is exposed, you can get these little problems. Then they can coalesce in a way to form what we, what you would think of as a corneal abrasion, a bigger area. Um, And that's just the next step. And then if that gets if that area gets infected, then that would be what we call uh, keratitis or microbial keratitis. Um,
1: and um, and the um, I mean, before we get into the epidemiology, and I guess we'll let Dr. Eisen do that as, as the next step is, um, I've actually never seen uh, tar- tarsorrhaphy or where they've closed the eyes, sewing them up. Is that something that was more popular in the past, or is that something? Do you have an opinion on that? Can you talk about that?
3: Yeah, it's not the best. Uh, first step because it makes it very hard to examine the eyes. So you would, you would want to do that in a situation where it was really the only possible option. Sometimes we do that on the outpatient basis for different reasons why patients can't close their eyes and they're not, well, we'll talk about the other options, but they're not really going to walk around with the moisture chamber over right. their eyes. So it's an option for them. It's not an infected situation, um, but it does make it very hard to examine. Okay.
1: So the key just sort of big picture is that these patients lose their ability to naturally nourish and protect their eyes, and the focus of your paper was to sort of synthesize that and focus what literature there was as to how to protect them, and um, you've done a a meta-analysis. So maybe, Dr. Eisen, if you'd like to talk for a few minutes, that'd be great.
2: If I I could just add one more point about the pathophysiology um, of the um, exposure keratopathy uh, one, one very important problem, which is sort of unique to patients on the ventilator, is um, that they develop um, so called ventilator eye, people have termed this. They develop this chemosis, swelling of the eye, which makes it very difficult to shut. And uh, that's a combination of the fluid resuscitation that patients get, the um, leaky capillaries from sepsis, and then also the positive pressure from the ventilator impedes return and uh, And causes swelling as well, so um, that's a that's a very important point for the uh, patients who are on the ventilator in the ICU
1: um, and then, as you were uh, you were going to discuss with us, I guess when you were uh, doing research on this topic in terms of how common this is and uh, and things like that
2: Yes, um, and the the incidence of this um, exposure keratopathy is is very variable in series. That um, uh, can range anywhere from twenty to sixty percent, depending on the type of patients in the series, and um, and then how it's assayed for. Also, how closely it's assayed for. Uh, in a lot of these studies, they would check every day, um, you know, with with eye exams. Um, of course, if you don't look for it, you're you're never going to see it. And um, so it's it's a fairly common problem, um, uh, at least with patients who are ventilated in the ICU. Now, um, the incidence of how many of those patients will eventually go on to develop microbial keratitis with infectious organisms is unclear but there's several case series and the organisms that they get are basically the ones that are um, they're either colonized within their skin or they have in their respiratory tree so if they have a pseudomonas pneumonia um, they may get a pseudomonas uh, keratitis if you have uh, acinetobacter you could get acinetobacter in there as well and uh, then um how many of those patients will have um, uh, visual sequelae um, is also unclear, but um, if you have a bad infection over the visual axis um, or an ulcer over the visual axis, um, that, that can impair your vision, and um, that's something we might not see in the ICU, um, but if you visit the patient uh, when they're out of the hospital, they, they may have that complaint.
1: Uh, one of the things you uh, I didn't bring up before, but I was wanted to ask you about is conjunctivitis, um, which I know is an outpatient problem. But is that also come up? In, are these patients at high risk for that? And is that a concern for you as well, or, or does it, can that become worse, or something um, worse?
3: I think this is a concern in general in the ICU. I think it's less related to the patient's exposure I see. because even patients who can open and close their eyes normally Developed are, that. you know, they, they're at they can get conjunctivitis. I think it's a concern in the ICU because there's so many bacteria everywhere. Oh, right. That you know anything conjunctivitis is very easy to spread, and any infection, and then you touch your eye, or the nurse touches, or the doctor touches your eye, then you can get conjunctivitis. But it's less of an issue with um, for exposure.
1: I thought we'd uh, focus the the main part of the podcast on uh, two issues. One was focusing on on um, screening. Uh, and then I thought the exciting part where you looked at the literature, did a meta-analysis to determine what you thought the best way for prevention should be. Dr. Eisen, I guess, if you'd like to take it from here.
2: Um, sure. Um, there's um, many different ways um, for, for screening for this problem. It's um, actually well within the capability of um, ICU staff, doctors, or, or nurses um, to um, screen for this problem. In most of this, the trials um, for inclusion criteria of um, prevention of microbial keratitis, they uh, had the inclusion criteria of if the patient had less than five blinks per hour, um, they would be enrolled in the trial. And obviously, most people aren't going to sit there and watch a patient for an hour uh, to determine uh, how many times they're blinking, but it's pretty apparent after a few minutes of looking somebody uh, whether they're blinking or not that's really the 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 first thing that you might want to look at is does the patient have an intact blink reflex because the blink reflex is very powerful um, in terms of um, preventing exposure the second uh, issue is 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 the patient have their eyes closed Uh, are their eyes closed or do they have some lag ophthalmos because that'll be a a very high risk uh, again so uh, that uh, Uh, Can actually be very tricky. If you just quickly look at somebody's eyes, they may appear to be closed. Um, But um, especially medially, um, there's often a small opening um, that might not be apparent unless you look closely. Once you look for those couple things, um, you of course will want to open the eye, examine is there any swelling, Um, is there any redness, is there any discharge uh, from the eye. Those would indicate that. um, that, well, the problem has already started, uh, and um, it may need treatment rather than prevention um, at that point. People have done more advanced things, which, uh, you know, in honest all honesty, aren't that advanced. Um, where um, they've um, just given um, standard pen lights with blue filters, and um, ICU staff has placed uh, fluorescein dye in and um, to see if there's any uh, breakdown anywhere. And um, they found that the the results were were quite good, um, uh, almost as good as, as ophthalmologists doing a, a full exam. At least for this one particular problem. For the exposure keratopathy. Exactly. Issue.
1: Yeah. Um, do you want to make any other comments from an ophthalmologist perspective on on uh, non-ophthalmologists trying to screen for this kind of a problem?
3: Yeah, I think it can definitely be done. Um, like we were saying about using the fluorescein, this is our standard procedure. I never see a patient in the office or at the bedside without using the fluorescein and a blue light. And it really, it's, it's easy and it's very effective. The fluorescein is picked up in the area where there's no epithelium. So the only thing you're going to, the only thing you're looking for and the only thing you're going to find is the areas where the epithelium is not intact.
1: Right. Denuded so epithelium, areas where the it's not the it's not in proper condition.
3: Yeah. So, if the epithelium is gone, you see it light up and you have your answer. You know what's going on.
1: And it's a what is a, a Woods a Woods lamp or any yep. particular?
3: Well, in the emergency room they use a Woods lamp, but we just use a blue blue light. So they have uh, pen lights that have a blue filter on them. It's very easy. It fits in your pocket.
1: And then, if you could talk uh, some more about uh, the different ways of trying to prevent this and what you found in your study, that'd be Sh- great.
2: Sure. A lot of protocols have been developed um, in terms of preventing this, this problem. And uh, that, that can range anywhere from drops in the eye. Um, to um, lubricate an ointment in the eye, or covering the eye in some manner, um, either with um, substances such as um, uh, jelly perm, which is sort of a, a uh, impermeable membrane, or people have used even uh, cling wrap, literally cling wrap, which you can get from the store, or um, uh, very elegantly people have put swimming goggles um, on right, the I eye. Right, I remember reading that in your paper. Yeah. And that's also sort of an elegant uh, a solution. The idea is to create a moisture chamber um, that um, if you can cover the eye and prevent that dryness, that's really one of your main problems right there um, taken care of. Uh, Dr. Rosenberg?
3: Sure. So we, uh, we looked at a comparison between each of these different methods. The standard has sort of been to lubricate. Um, so we looked at... Uh, how well these different solutions do solve the problem. So the best studied methods have been the lubrication and the moisture chamber, which is sort of a newer way of thinking about it. Um, and we found that in these studies, uh, the moisture chambers seemed to work much better. The patients in the moisture chamber groups had about a 7% chance of exposure, whereas the lubrication group had 21%.
1: The development of the exposure keratops. Right. So this was not the usual 28-day mortality study for critical care. The endpoints were development of this uh, entity.
3: Right, exactly. And um, I also wanted to point out about these, these studies that they did The lubrication group, the patients who were lubricated, they were they got drops or ointment very frequently. So even this 21 percent developing exposure keratopathy is maybe even an underestimation of reality because the protocols that were used in this. They're getting a high level of care. Yes. Yes. They're getting things. They're getting it done every two hours. They, you know, that they're really on top of it all the time. The nurses are constantly checking and giving lubrication, and which may not be, as we said before, the top priority for these very sick patients.
1: Um, and would you like to discuss uh, what some of your findings were of your meta-analysis?
2: Yeah. So basically, in the meta-analysis, um, uh, just to reiterate that um, uh, we compared two of the best-studied uh, methods, which were the lubricating um, uh, ointments uh, versus the uh, moisture chambers and um, in the moisture chamber group um, basically the, the whole concept is is to cover the eye in some way that you keep the moisture in uh, and uh, there were three studies and uh, two of them um, covered the eye with um, cling wrap uh, type mechanism and the others um, simply put uh, swimming goggles on um, so there's a little heterogeneity in terms of exactly what they did but it's the same concept They found um, that the incidence of exposure keratopathy was uh, much less, um, that uh, 7% versus 21% when they um, used the moisture chamber. Ease of applicability of the moisture chamber also has some advantage. Um, uh, Once you um, lubricate the eye or wet it in some way, you can just place it on. And another advantage of these methods is that um, you can continue to examine the eye um, you can see what's going on underneath because these moisture chambers are, are basically clear substances that you can see through, which is which is important.
1: So I had a question, um, two questions, as a non-eye person uh, for I guess either of you. But um, it, it seemed a little counterintuitive. I've never actually seen patients with with these uh, protection moisture chambers on, and I would think naively that you you could trap. Uh, potential infectious agents in there better, and you might have an increased incidence of infection. And I was wondering just technically, how, how do you get the fluid in there and then put the goggles on so that the fluid doesn't come out, or, or how does that all work? Can you talk about that for a little bit?
3: Okay, so in terms of um, the infectious issues, as I said, the most bacteria can't get inside the eye as long as the eye is protecting itself in its usual way, and as long as the epithelium is intact. So if you routinely cover the eyes before there's any infection there, the patient should be okay. And in these groups, they did not find any issue with greater infection. In terms of how exactly to do it, it was done in different ways. Um, The goggles are very easy because it just goes on and they put some sterile water inside. The um, cling wrap, it looks like they, they taped on around the face. So avoiding the, the area right around the eye, which is very sensitive, they just put it on around the face. So it's
1: trapping the natural moisture that's already there? Is that the idea?
3: Right, right. So it's trapping the natural moisture. And also they would put sterile water inside. Okay. So that, yeah.
1: And they get changed every uh, few hours or
3: once um, a day? I believe they change them every shift. I see. Yeah.
2: Now, there, there's some, um, at least theoretical, concerns with these methods, um, um, so uh, may, may need to be studied further as well. But, uh, first of all, they're not FDA approved for this indication. Nobody has gone to the Speedo company and and uh, said we want to use your uh, study your uh, goggles um, for the, this particular use. Uh, number two is um, there's the um, a uh, chance of causing local ulceration, basically from the goggles uh, from them the goggle themselves. From the goggles itself, especially with somebody with a swollen face or, or something, um, or the goggles aren't a perfect fit. Um, if they're if that's looked for and they're changed frequently, it should and be it pr- appropriately, fitted I guess. appropriately. it shouldn't really be a problem. The last is is could the um, uh, pressure in the eye be increased um, by these manners, um, which um, uh, might be a theoretical concern as well. Um, th- these are things to, to think Increasing about. Increasing
1: intraocular pressure, you mean? Yeah.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah. that, that could be a possibility. Um, most people can tolerate a m- small increase in their intraocular pressure for a limited amount of time. But, of course, we don't know when the patients come in whether they happen to have end-stage glaucoma or something like that where it would really be a big problem for them to have their intraocular pressure going up. So that is also... That also could be a risk, as we said. I
1: I thought I'd let uh, you guys end the podcast by each taking a few minutes to make some concluding statements either about what your recommendations for the average practicing intensivist should be, maybe for nursing leadership, and uh, maybe were you surprised by the results of your study and and maybe future uh, concepts or ideas that you have?
3: Well, I think the main the main thing is just being aware of the problem. I really wasn 't surprised that the incidence of exposure keratopathy is so high because every time I was called for a consult to the ICU for a red eye, this was the problem. So I knew that this was that it was going to be pretty high. Um, but I do think these solutions that we 've discussed today are relatively simple straightforward ways to to address the problem. So it's really just a matter of taking the time and really just having it in the back of your mind that this is something to address once the patient is stable and we're out of the immediate life-threatening problem.
2: Um, my take-home message is that this is something that, that doctors should think about, um, nurses should think about, respiratory therapists should think about, that um, it's something we, we don't think about enough. Um, if you take um, uh, improper suctioning technique, you suction the lungs and withdraw the, the suction catheter over the face, um, you can directly drop secretions into the eye. Um, and whatever you have in your lungs is, is going to be in your eye. That, that's well known. Um, whatever um, method of prevention um, you use, um, it's at least good to have a, a thought or maybe even protocols um, about this problem Um, in order to tackle it. Uh, If you look at the eye, you'll see all kinds of things. People sometimes, uh, they have a contact lens, and they might be in for a week uh, before somebody notices, which is extremely dangerous. So just uh, think about the eye and and look at the eye.
1: Well, this has really been great. We've been speaking today with Dr. Jamie Rosenberg and Dr. Louis Eisen from the Albert Einstein College of Medicine. We've taken a few moments to try and learn a little bit about uh, how to make the eyes of our patients a little bit better. Since we focus so much of our energies on every other organ, it would be, it would be a shame to, uh, to have a patient leave the ICU with, with uh, their eyesight in danger. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today on the podcast.
2: Thank you. Thanks.
1: Thank you for listening to this version of the Eye Critical Care podcast. I'm Dr.
0: Richard Savell. The best way to make sure you are prepared for the critical care boards is by attending the Adult and Pediatric Multiprofessional Review Courses, MCCRC, at the Society's Critical Care Academy. Critical Care Academy will be held at the historic Hilton San Francisco in California from July 12th to 18th, 2009. Critical Care Academy is designed for practitioners who are preparing for the critical care subspecialty exams, as well as those seeking review of and updates on critical care. Learn more at www.sccm.org. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine or its officers or members. Your host is the Society's Associate Editor for Podcasts, Richard Savell, MD, FCCM. Dr. Savell is the Medical Co Director of the Surgical Intensive Care Unit at Montefiore Medical Center in New York City. Practicing under the leadership of Vladimir M.D., MDFCCM. To contact the editorial staff of the iCritical Care podcast with questions, comments, or ideas, please email iCriticalCare at sccm.org or info at sccm.org.